In this episode of Man vs. Marriage, it's time for me to encourage you and also coach you up. Going to be an open discussion with my wife and Jeannie. Oh, my wife Jeannie. <laughs> that was weird. I'm keeping it. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to another episode of Man vs. Marriage. It is I, the stumbling bump, uh, Quincy Moran, a.k.a. the Q-Dog in the Moran Family Studio, with my lovely wife, Jeannie. Honey. I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, I don't know why I said my wife and Jeannie, since they are one and the same, but today, maybe you're two people. That could get interesting. Anyway, uh, before we get on with this show, I want to make sure that you please go and go like this particular podcast, go share it with someone, um, rate it, give us a great and stellar review if it's making a positive impact in your life. Um, it's very important you do that. We are going to do our best to broaden this platform to help more men and women with marriage. That is what we are looking to do. I think 2024 is going to it's going to give us some exciting time uh, and advancements in this particular program, so we can reach more people. So, thank you for being here. With that being said, you know I'm, honey, I'm helping several different guys uh, in their relationship, not just their relationship, but also helping them to kind of develop themselves as men. And I think sometimes we get worried. Like we've had listeners who have emailed in and they're like, I've tried this once. It's not working. (laughs) What do you want me to do? And so today my hope is to encourage you and then to, to provide you. And what I could have said better is to provide you context for what this looks like. If you're new to the program, you've just jumped into this episode or well, let's say this, uh, you've listened to five to 10 episodes, but you don't know the backstory. Let me just quickly give that to you, okay? Jeannie and I met 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I was babysitting for a friend. I needed some help. This friend introduced me to Jeannie by giving me a 3.5, a 3x5 card and said, here's who she is. This is her schedule. He was full of like Bible study, prayer, college, Bible study, Etc. And I'm like, I don't know who this chick is, but on paper, she's hot. Come to find out, she's very hot. Um, and I, I myself, not so hot. Had a great personality. Had dimples. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so, needless to say, at the time, I was very overweight. Um, had some confidence and some personal issues going on. And at the time of meeting her, I was really mad at my friend. Um, because he set me up with a dime, bros. He set me up with a dime. And I'm like, this. I, I got so mad. It's like, this isn't even going to work. She's so far out of my league. Well, we talked that night. We were totally into each other. We had, thank God there was a guy out there that told her before she got there that he wanted to be on a break. I should be sending that guy Christmas cards, but I'm not. I digress. So with that being said, we ended up, from that day forward, I can't remember a day that we didn't talk. 
Um, and we just hit it off. We had a ton in common. We had actually worked at the same place. Her last day was my first day. I never met her, but I took her call when she called in sick for her last day. Just a weird situation. We ended up getting married. We wanted to start a family. She was told she probably couldn't have kids. I got myself tested because she wasn't getting she wasn't getting pregnant. And come to find out, the doctor or the, the nurse called back and said, Nope, you're shooting blanks. It's you, dude. And 30 minutes later, they called back and said, Sorry, we read the wrong test. And then... Two people that said that were told they couldn't have kids, had a boy, then had triplets. Had a baby, it's a boy. Yeah, what a funny commercial. We had a baby, eats a boy. Um, had a boy, a single, then had triplets, then had a single, then had doubles and a single, and rounded out life with eight kids, triplets and twins, one boy, seven girls. Crazy, crazy. Never, ever saw us there. In the midst of that, we had all kinds of chaos going on. I mean, crazy chaos. The short story is triplets and the twins both started their life uh, on life support. Now, the trip, the triplets were much more fragile, I think, than the twins. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's because I saw the triplets and then well, saw the, triplets, the twins. The triplets were born four weeks premature compared to... Um, the triplets were at 28 days, 28 weeks, two days. The twins were at 32 weeks on the nose. Completely different. And the triplets were like two pounds a piece. The twins, I think, were three. over three pounds a piece. And there, that is a staggering. 315 and 34. That was a startling difference. And so I think maybe after seeing three babies at two pounds and then... These other babies that were, you know, four weeks. We jokingly said that they were fat <laughs> because compared to what we started with, they were. You know, but even so, they all of them, all five of those kids had to start on life support. And it was, it was really odd. It was just weird. And I remember my grandmother coming in and I was there, you know, just uh, like, hey, they're here. They're breathing. Life is good. And it crushed my grandmother. She had never seen anything like that. Of course, I hadn't either, but she's already seen children and grandchildren being born and everything. So, um, we, you know, we kind of went from there. Uh, we had learned, you know, a few years down the road that our kids were sexually molested by babysitters. Uh, we nearly lost our home. We couldn't afford gross, many things we couldn't afford, but we were eating out of a food bank. Um, Tremendous financial adversity. And then uh, one of our, both of our, two two of our daughters uh, had to have VP shunts placed. Didn't start out that way, but they both dealt with seizures. And them combined is right near 30 different brain surgeries over the course of several years to get this right. The seizures were some of the scariest things I'd ever seen in my life. My daughter... Hannah had a grandma seizure. We had uh, we had one of our triplets um, that had aspirated after having her tonsils removed. They left on the helicopter. The helicopter came back, went to a trauma room. She flatlined. the The trauma team was working on her, and there was no heartbeat. Like legitimately, you see it in the movies. Ben, no heart. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. My mother. Um, has been a nurse for a long time. We've been in a lot of sticky situations. She's never expressed emotion until that happened. And that day 
she burst into tears and I nearly threw up in the trauma room because I'd never seen that, but I decided to hold it together. Anyway, the diagnosis of autism for three of our children, my only son and and two of my daughters came with some very difficult times. Uh, Autism in itself, trying medications. It was a very, very trying 10 years. And I'm sure that there is difficulty for everyone when they get married. Ours was like packed into a 10 year period and that, and it's not like all adversity stopped. It's just, that's where we were. And, um, we had become roommates based on just survival mode and trying to get through day to day and trying to, trying to figure out how to get through to the next day (laughs) and what that was going to look like. (coughs) So at that point, you know, Jeannie and I, uh, went to, we got a, we got in, uh, enrolled into this class at church called Living Life by Design. It was my first exposure to self-development. And then, you know, after that was over, we got into uh, some kind of like a marriage seminar at our church, like a four- to eight-week seminar where they asked us to rate our, our marriage. I rated it higher than Jeannie, which is common. Men typically rate their, their marriages higher than women. And... We started to get the idea that, hey, this who who we are isn't who we have to be. And we signed up for this great marriage, and right now it's not great. So what can we do to get it there? And we and Jeannie was doing some personal counseling and coaching uh, at the time with Rita, uh, who was our, one of our pastors at church. And then Rita wanted to bring me in, and that's where this thing uh, was birthed in those times. Anything you want to say there? No. You're covering it pretty well. So with that being said, now we've been doing this podcast for over five years. And the tips, the tricks, the secrets, the epiphanies, the aha moments, the failures. It's like going to the movies and watching a movie based on a true story where you're making a decade of someone's life or 20 or 30 years of someone's life and you're cutting it down to two hours. American Underdog, great movie. Story about Kurt Warner. He went through that for a very long time. And they put it together and they showed it to you in two hours. You got to see a certain span of his life. And so sometimes... When you hear this program, if you're anything like me, uh, when I started this, I always try to start everything at once. And then while I'm starting everything at once, I go and I would go and assault Jeannie with it. Like when I got into the keto diet, it was crazy. I was learning so much. I did not have sense enough to take time to learn and understand it and then create a plan and go for it. I started plan A today and would listen to podcasts and listen to books about it. And before you know it, I have it all set up. Jeannie does the shopping and the cooking according to that plan. And I've already changed it and I haven't talked to her about it. And then I'm starting to do my own clinical trials on myself to see what works with my body. And I'm changing things. I haven't made her privy to it. But so I'm starting a bunch of things at once. 
and I'm not communicating that. And it caused strife and frustration in our relationship. And when I started to redevelop myself as an individual, I did it the same way. I was the too much too soon guy. So I'm saying all that to say that I, I've got to give you context because what I'm doing now, I was never taught as a kid. I wasn't taught as a teenager. I wasn't taught as a, as a young adult. I didn't know this until my 30s. So I, what you're getting is, is more than 10 years in the making. Almost 15. Almost 15 years in the making. And if you, if you try to take a, you know, 15 or 20 episodes and, and bring it down and then try to do everything at once without being a bit more methodical and focusing on the areas where you yourself can personally affect the things that you have control over, not what other people are responsible for. You're, you are going to extend your time of learning because you can hurt people in the process. And I've had listener emails where, you know, Jeannie and I have joked around, but it's true. It's like, well, I, I did this once and it's not, it's not working. Something's wrong. It's like, no, you, you've been married for 10 years and you try something one time and it's supposed to. Well, you don't go to the gym for one day and expect to lose 10 pounds. Find me that gym. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not something where, plus some of these things that we've learned and the tools that we use, you might use it one time. And when we tell you that some of these things are going to create hard talks, you can't just stop doing it because you're having hard talk. You know, and then it comes out and you're like, well, I just pissed her off, so I'm not going to do it anymore. You might have to piss each other off a little bit to get down to what's really going on. And it's not easy, but once you've learned how to have those conversations without taking it personal, it gets easier. But you don't learn that in the first argument. Our first actual hard talk sucked. Oh, my God, it sucked. And it didn't take just us talking it out to make it better we had to involve rita to say okay now that this is on the table what do we do with it because we were both mad well i think we had a lot of success though um even in that first hard talk it, it was something that was great but it's something we both agreed to yeah we both had an understanding we both agreed to this and we were being coached so what i'm what i'm encouraging you to do is take all of this in Take time to digest it. And if you've heard the old episodes, you will hear me say, don't consume all this and then run out and try it on everybody. Because there are things in you that you have to fix and resolve. And you will come to a place where you are changing and people will notice. You won't have to tell them. I don't think it's a bad idea to tell people that you're starting down this path. And that you might get a little loose. Um, or you might have some really bad days because you've learned something about your past. Or you've learned something about yourself. But it's like this conversation, like, listen, um, and, and it's this is the people that you trust and that you're intimate with, that you know. It's like, hey, I'm learning, I'm listening to this guy, his podcast, his wife, and, and from their experience, and I've learned some things about myself. So I, if I start talking about some of these things and you don't understand it, 
give me some grace, please. And I'm going to do my best not to run over here and pull a Quincy and just try to use everything I learn on you because you're taking my experience and then you're going to go formulate your own plan because all of this requires context. And I want to encourage you guys, number one, to say, if you're here and you're listening, you have my utmost respect because you want you want to take this gift of life, these relationships that you have, you want to take the things that are in the past that maybe you've done or that other people have done to you, or as Ed Milet would say, things that have happened for you. And you want to set yourself on a new course. And I admire that. I know how this I know how this works. I'm giving you my own playbook for what I have what I have learned over these almost 15 years, but understand that it 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 requires context and understanding. It requires grace. When you learn something about yourself, there are some things that you can just put into practice immediately, but you can't put false expectations on other people because you've been, quote, enlightened or you've come to an understanding of something because they haven't. They're not there. So there are guys that listen to this show and their wives don't know about it. There are guys that listen to this show and they don't discuss the things that they are changing about themselves and something to be on the lookout and how do you even approach that conversation? I've given advice. So it's like, hey, I've, I'm listening to a podcast, and I'm listening to this guy's story. It's very, him and his wife's story is very interesting. But it's caused me to reflect on who I am and what I do. And it's, it's kind of intriguing me to know if I can live a more excellent life, or however you want to put it. But just putting it out there. And then when you learn something, take time, take time to digest it and become it. It's not to say that you can't talk about it with other people, but take time to digest and become what it is you are, I don't want to say striving to become, but what you are endeavoring to become but don't go put it on other people learn more about yourself and then have patience have patience with the people around you have some patience for yourself I'm not saying justify poor behavior I'm not saying justify habits that are that can be toxic or that could be harmful to other people. Look, I myself have been working on becoming a better version of myself because I want to live this gift of life. I want it, I want to live it for everything I have. But that doesn't stop people who are what I would say are close to me. That doesn't stop them from insulting me <laughs> and talking trash about me, insulting me as a man, as a father. Um, insulting my home. I mean, all kinds of things. It doesn't, but what I want to do is live to my standard and not allow 
what it is they're doing now affect me and cause emotional responses in me. And that can be a challenge. Obviously, it's happened recently. Well, you're going to run up against people as you're you're changing things about yourself. Um, you know, our pastor used to say you're going to be tested to see if you're legitimately sticking to what it is that you're doing or if it's just a temporary pass. Um, and there are people in your life, I personally think that there are certain ones that are just there to be the chisel. The and, stooge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a to great pick story. And pick and pick and pick just to see if they can get under that surface just enough to get you to flip back to who you used to be or get a reaction out of you that they can turn around and say, see, you're not really doing X, Y, and Z. But here's the thing. It's none of their business. Number one, what you're doing, who you're becoming and how you're changing. You're doing those things for yourself. You're not doing them for these people. You're not doing them because you want to become popular. You're not doing it because you know, you're trying to get something out of it other than, a long, love-filled, exciting life. That's it. Your kids respect you. Your kids love you. They adore who you are as a father, as a parent. They're the same with me. I, we don't do everything exactly right. We don't do it the way that other people... Hell, we don't do it the way we were taught. And we took classes on this stuff, and we went through a couple of different programs, and by the time we, we got to about six months in, we went, this ain't working. This is not what we're supposed to be doing. And we made a pivot and we did something different. That's, that's the thing. It's not up to those that are watching you to determine whether or not you're actually successful in what you're trying to do. It's up to you to decide, am I successful in what I'm doing? Because they're, they're looking, you're going to have people that are going to get jealous because you're doing things and making changes that they themselves can't do. They could if they wanted to. They just don't want to put in the work and the effort because it ain't a little thing. Right. You know, it's like we always compare it to Quincy's working out and losing weight. It's, it's not like you went into the gym and suddenly lost 20 pounds in a week. That, that's not how this worked. I mean, if you, <laughs> PJ would tell us, if you went to the gym and you didn't feel like absolute crap and sore when you were done, you did it wrong. Go back and do it again. And she's not kidding because you're not going to feel great. It's not easy. It's something that you're, you're putting your body through. Now, this side of things, you're putting yourself mentally and emotionally through something to change. And you're also putting your spouse through it. Not in a bad way. There are going to be moments, but it's not a bad thing. You're both going to have to basically be put into the pressure to come out of it the right way. But the people that are watching you, they see this and they don't want to deal with that pressure. They don't want to deal with all the work that you have to put in. They're not going to go to the gym twice a day for two hours a day or each time and do these workouts that you do because that's not them. That's, That's not what they want to do. They want the results. They don't want to do the work. Yeah. It's the same with our marriage. It's the same with our kids and how we raise them. We're not doing it the way that we were raised. We're not doing it the way that people have advised us to do. We're doing it the way that we feel our kids need to be raised in the world that they're getting ready to face on their own. It, it's different. Our marriage, it, the only thing that we agreed on when we got married, wholeheartedly, zero negotiation, divorce is not an option. We had two things that we agreed. Divorce was a possibility. 
but every other thing had to be exasperated first. We were not just going to walk in and say, you know what, I'm done and we quit. That was the only deal that we made. Everything else we had to work for, we had to earn, and then we created our non-negotiables as we went. And I think you make a good point, too, just kind of going back to, you know, talking about, I don't, I don't remember exactly if it was your parents or your past or whatever, but just going to the idea of looking at, and, you know, I had, my parents were divorced. There are things that you're dealing with now that may have been caused by your parents. But I encourage you not to hold them accountable for it. I, and, and that might sound weird. But listen, it, this is what it was. Jeannie and I did what we saw growing up. Mm-hmm. And that is what happens. You do what you see. And we were in that, we were doing the exact same thing. And my parents did what they saw and so on and so forth. And what you hope is not to get it perfect because what is what is perfection? Everything can be perfect and you can and you can be miserable. Take a take a clean house, for example. A perfectly clean house. You may create some misery in making that making that house perfectly clean. Because now if somebody walks in and there's dust on their shoe, well now they've just upset all your work and now the focus becomes what have you done to my house? It was perfectly clean. There can be misery in perfection. But I look at it and, you know, I once you start to learn and understand more about yourself and you start facing these hard questions and asking yourself these hard questions, you may find that something from your past, your parents, etc., a bad relationship or whatever has affected you. And you may be living that out Right now, as we speak, that you're a certain way because of a situation that happened to you um, when you were growing up. And I say don't don't hold your hold your parents blameless because if you're doing what you see but you do not know any better, I didn't know any better for the first thirty years of my life. I thought this is what it is. Jeannie and I said, you know, divorce is not an option. I came from a divorced home. So that was one of the driving factors. It's like, I, I don't want a divorce. I want to change the stars, you know, in my lineage. And so there, let me, I'm going to, I'll tell you this. Um, I had a situation with my dad. Okay. So I left one year, decided to stay in, California because my at-home life was miserable. Not necessarily because of my dad, which he was a rotten individual at the time, but it was more of my the step side of the family. Mm. When I left, he was the kind of guy that I hugged at 10 years old, and he looked at me and said, get your hands off me. I'm not one of your stupid friends at school. That was a 10-year-old boy hugging his dad. Like, hero, mm. you know? So, I left... And my, my dad comes from a very religious family. And when I left at 13 and I came back, he had gone to church. He had given his life to Jesus Christ. And he was a different guy. And he's the one who got me started in sports when I moved out there. Like when I moved out at 10, he got me into football. I started playing football. started playing baseball. He coached some of my teams. Well, 
fast forward to him getting converted, that's what we call it in the South, he wouldn't go to anything. He wouldn't go to my wrestling match. He wouldn't go to my baseball game. He wouldn't go to my football game. He went to nothing. And it hurt me more than I knew. And my it hurt my brother, too. And my brother would bring it up and throw it in his face constantly. Um, and that's probably, you know, they, they worked together. He worked for my dad at the, his painting company. But when I started, I became a parent, I started to understand that even though you can read a bunch of books, there's no playbook for being a parent. <laughs> no. Because every kid is not the kid in the book. Every kid is some is a is a an individual in their own right. So as a parent, you do what you believe is best and you try to move the ball down the field a little further than your parents did. Well, and you we learned we learned a lot. Now dealing with special needs is, is an entity in and of itself. Okay. That, that is a whole different, we could do a completely different podcast on just that. Sure. But because we had kids who had disabilities, we had to learn to teach them differently because they don't learn like everybody else. True. Um, well, we had to we, learn, we had to learn not, not just what the, the effects and the, um, disconnect, so to say, were that they had, but we had to learn how to maneuver around those in order to get them to even respond to us. And then we had to learn how to teach our other children who were typical kids as opposed to special needs kids. But then, but that was the beauty of it is in learning how to, to take Hunter, for example, Hunter is hard of hearing first and then he's autistic. Okay. Well, when we got when he was born and he had microtia, which is means part of his ear is missing and his eardrum is very very small, so he has a seventy percent hearing loss in one ear. I immediately learned started learning how to get him to communicate. So we had people come into the house and they were telling us, "Well, he can learn sign language." Okay, cool. Well, then he started talking. So we had family that attacked us because we were teaching him sign language. I know, I know. We we look. Not everybody does it like everybody else. And quite frankly, we didn't care if people didn't like it. I needed to know what my son needed because when he cried, I had nothing. I had no way of knowing if he understood what I was saying. I had no way of knowing if he, I was actually, the only thing I knew was if I picked him up and held him, the boy would calm down. That's all I knew. He wanted to be held all the time. He didn't want to crawl. He wanted to roll. He missed certain milestones because we didn't know at the time, but autism just didn't allow those things to connect. So fast forward, we, we used the ASL when he was a baby, but we only used it for certain things. And then when he started talking, everybody's like, okay, stop the sign language and start teaching him to talk. And we did. And it backfired because by the time he was seven years old, he was two years behind. He couldn't keep up. He could read sight words, but that's memory. He wasn't actually learning anything. He was memorizing things. So when he would see it, he knew what the word was. He didn't know what it meant. And I went into school wanting to take sign language to see if, if I could help him. If this will work, if we could do this and this will work, maybe we could move him to a different program, which is eventually ended up happening. But what we learned was Hunter's brain needs pictures for words. 
And words like and and the, they don't have pictures. If you say the word and and you show him a plus sign, he thinks it's add, A-D-D, not A-N-D. And it didn't connect. So we went in and we started using sign language and he started reading stories with me and all of a sudden... He understood the story. He could answer questions. He could see, he could visualize the picture of what was happening based on what he was seeing in front of him with my hands. All of our kids started slowly picking up sign language. Now we have two that absolutely love the language. Now he, he's not fluent in it. He himself cannot sign well. But if I need him to understand something or if we're in a crowd or if he's uncomfortable and he's nervous, he'll shut up. He'll just stop talking. All of a sudden he tries to sign. It's like, oh, crap. But had I not learned myself, I couldn't figure out what it was he's trying to tell me when he goes into these moments. We use those things to start figuring out, okay, well, if Hunter learns this way, how does Kirsten learn? How does Hannah learn? How does Gracie learn? What do they do that other kids maybe don't do? I homeschooled them for the simple fact that a, Ashlyn was getting picked on and I didn't like the child she was becoming because she she was becoming mean to survive. And the other kids, we started noticing that they could only learn to a certain point and then it seemed like things just didn't click. Had we not done what we did to say, okay, let's bring them home. Let's, let's see how we can do this ourselves. I figured out some of them learn... They, they aren't real good at writing something to explain it to you, but they're really good at verbalizing it. They just don't like to verbalize in front of a crowd. Okay, we could work through that. We had one that Quincy used to make the kids get up and tell us a story or tell us a joke. She would absolutely 100% shut down, start crying, freak out. I mean, panic attacks at like five, six years old. She's now getting ready to be a nurse and she does presentations just fine in school and she likes to be around friends and talk to people and be in crowds and she's okay. But had we not done those things that we did, they wouldn't be who they are. It's not that what we were taught was wrong. It's what we were taught didn't work for our kids. Our kids didn't learn like we did. We were taught, go outside, your parents lock the door, go play. (laughs) that's how we learn go get dirty and get sick and get cooties and do whatever you're going to do and you'll be fine our kids in the last four or five years don't touch anybody don't breathe on anybody lock yourself in your house shut everybody away go on your social media and be who you want to be there but don't actually connect with people that's not who our kids are no it's it was up to us to decide what do they need? How do they function? And really, it boils down to the same stuff that we learned for our marriage. Rita came in, and the very first thing she said was, what's your love language? Both of us looked at each other like we were stupid. I don't know. I mean, for the first 10 years of our marriage, until you started losing weight, your love language was food, as far as I knew, and I knew how to cook. So we were golden. Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't really what it was. And when we started kind of learning, these are the things that we need. And these are the things that I need. This is the things that Quincy needs. Then we started taking those tactics to our kids and saying, okay, well, what about them? What do they need? How does this work for them? It's not something we changed overnight. It was a process. But what my parents did for me, my mom didn't know my love language. 
I guarantee you they didn't know what my love language was because my house wasn't affectionate. Well, and the reason I'm saying, you know, the reason I bring that up and you made, you gave a lot of history on, on why we do what we do. Um, but, you know, with, with my dad, I, I did not understand until we got older, until I became a parent, why he was doing what he did. And my hope is that, you know, my kids know, our kids know that we're not perfect by any means. But my hope is they know and they take with them that my angle was from a place of love, even in the mistakes that I made. And I have made, I've made terrible mistakes as a parent, especially before I even knew that the kids had special needs. I didn't know. I knew what I was taught. Mm-hmm. I knew, I saw, I did. And so, you know, it really hurt me deeply um, for my dad not to show up at my games, and it hurt Josh too. And when I coached football, y'all didn't show up to my games. It was very difficult for you to do so. But I didn't I didn't realize how deeply it affected me until I became a parent. And then I then I got I came to the understanding and it's like, holy cow. The older I get, the smarter my dad and my mom are. I, it's just a fact of life. <laughs> the more apologies I have to go back and say, I, I, I get it now, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with that being said, I didn't understand why my dad wouldn't go to my games. And so he kind of came clean about that. And there was a, there was a time, it's something that happened between him and my brother Josh, and we were talking about it. And he's like, yeah, I went out to the job site today, and Josh is throwing it in my face. You didn't go to my games. You didn't go to my games. And I had to stop him right there, and I'm like, Dad, let me tell you something, man. I know that, you know, Josh is pouring out his frustrations, but I'll tell you the truth. That was difficult for me, too. It hurt me that you didn't show up. And in that time, he was like, well, son, I was afraid. I was afraid that I would backslide because his whole life was about sports. He said, if I had to do it over again. I would do it different. And that set me free. It set me free from the resentment I was holding. Um, I was harboring because of that situation. I think sometimes as kids, we don't, and maybe it's not our responsibility as kids, but we get older, you know, what? maybe my parent was going through something. Maybe they were going through something in their marriage. I mean, he's he's been married three times, so obviously something was going on there. But I don't, I no longer hold him, let me say this, I hold him harmless um, for the things that happened as he raised me and my mother too. I hold them harmless now because I believe this about my parents that their foundation was love and they screwed plenty of things up. But I believe their foundation was love. So it gives me the option to give them grace, and maybe at some point we do talk about these things, and maybe at some point, you know, uh, it'll be other times might be like with my dad where he says, if I could do it over again, I would do it differently, and that delivers me from that situation. And so, you know, I'm just, what I want to do is make sure that I give you context because it's not just like what your past uh, is about. It's not what you know you how you grew up but you do tend to bring those things into your relationship and they don't show their ugly head until something wakes it up and so you know i 
when it comes to the methods that that we're learning, and I, I'm helping a guy right now that's in a really, really, really difficult spot. Not even sure if his marriage is going to make it. And he's asking me, he's like, why, why should I try this again? This is, and I've tried to bring the conversation from, let's not talk about your marriage. Let's start with you. Mm-hmm. Let's start with what you have control over. And I'm, I, I work hard at providing this idea, whether your marriage lasts or not, there has to be a new you. You have to redefine you or this is going to happen again. And so I look at you guys and look at another, another guy that I'm helping. He's trying hard. He's trying very hard to be more mindful. He's trying hard to connect with his wife and to help meet her needs because he doesn't, well, we know this, but men and women just don't think the same. Mm -hmm. Shocker. So he's learning things about himself. And a lot of times when you start to do, when you start to engage in a podcast like this, it's going to bring some things up that you were not aware of. And as you start to change who you are and redefine who you are and set your course for a new path, it'll feel like things start to, to pile on top of you and that things are going wrong. Uh, you may be going against the grain. Your body, you, you may be you may be stuck in some habits that are not serving you, but it's comfortable and it's what you know. So as you start to change some of those habits, you're going to feel resistance. It's, it's normal. It's, it's normal for everyone. And it's if you, if you cave into the resistance, then you'll remain where you are. And all you will have for that is regret. Because at some point, you're going to look back and say, I should have, I would have, should, woulda, coulda. Maybe I would have something different. And he just went through a situation where he's like, I keep trying and I keep screwing it up. And I had this particular situation. And no matter how hard I try, I fail. And I kind of, what I'm reading from that is I want to give up. And I just want to encourage you, do not give up. Go back to the bare bones of why you're here anyway. You're here because you want, you want to redefine your life and you want to become someone that you respect. You want, you're here because who you are is not who you have to be. You're here because you want to make a maximum impact in your life and in the lives of those people around you. You want to be the man that they deserve and you know that you're capable of more but you just don't know how to get there. I can go on and on and on for what your motivation is to be here. But understand there is something very heavy, and I learned this from Ed Milet, there is something very heavy about your intentions and what your motivations are. And those speak volumes, in my opinion. So although you're trying and you fail, what did you intend to do and what is your motivation to do it? Now, if you're trying to do something and you fail and your intentions were to fail or your motivations were more manipulative as opposed to pro- progressing in the direction in which you're going, that's on you. Just be true to yourself. Be true and hold yourself accountable. But don't forget the reason you started this. 
because you have a desire to raise the bar in your life. And what's your motivation? Your motivation is, mine is because I love my family. I want to support my family. I want to be famous in my family for the kind of love and support and leadership I provide for my family. You are going to make mistakes, every single one of you. You're going to find things out about your past you're not proud of. You're going to find out that there are people who have influenced your life and they made mistakes. And But the only way to move forward is to learn how to release, learn how to release those things in your life and hold those people harmless. It doesn't mean what they did isn't wrong, but maybe their motivation to do what they were doing was from a positive place and they failed. If you have the idea that only perfect will do, you've got some relearning to do. Because a house can be perfectly clean, but it can also make per people perfectly miserable. Even to me, a budget can be perfectly met, but it can make people perfectly miserable. And it goes on and on down the line. So I want, I want to, this doesn't sound like much of an encouragement, but I'm trying to encourage you to say, do not lose heart in doing good. Stay the course. Every week you're getting something around an hour, but it could have taken me a decade to do it. It could have taken me a decade to try and to fail to try and to fail and to give up and then to take it back and try again and fail before I was successful. And thank God for those people in my life that would tell me the Thomas Edison story that he failed at the light bulb like some stupid like 10,000 times before he finally got it right. But he learned every way not to do it. Now there are some of these tools and techniques that are supposed to work, and this is the way to do it, but you guys are not there yet. You yourself aren't there yet. Some of these tools and techniques, they require a different amount of strength. They require a different amount of, yeah, a different amount of technique. Now, I, I can't go in the gym and throw on my first day or my second day or my second year, I can't throw 500 pounds on the bench press and expect because I read it in a book or heard it in a podcast that I can go lift it. I haven't, I haven't experienced it. I haven't done the time. I haven't worked through it. I haven't made it a part of me. I have not taken the time and put the work in to build myself, my endurance, my muscles, my bone structure, etc. So I can't just go out and do it. I can have it as a goal. But I've got to put a plan and I've got to be diligent and I've got to be consistent in building up to being able to lift that amount. And it's the same way with what we do here. Please remember, and I'll say it again, 
some of the things that you've learned here, it's taken Jeannie and I over a decade, mm-hmm. and we still fail. And it's okay that we do because we learn. I don't know if the test comes from God or if it comes from us being thick-headed and not paying attention. <laughs> and frankly, I don't care. I just know that certain times you will be tested, and I see it as a positive. Because what testing does is it locates you for where you are in the moment. And you know whether you need more work or if you're in a good place. And it's only by testing those things. It's only by having those people, those stooge-minded people that come into your life. And here's the thing is, for me, I want to help people who want help. I want to help marriages that are willing to get better and to have a better relationship. If I have no adversity in my life in order to overcome it, then how am I how am I going to help anybody? It's like a doctor. He is supposed to aid in learning how to help heal or a surgeon. He's got to go through the learning process. He's got to go through the studying process. He's got to go through doing some surgeries in order to become a surgeon. So if I, because I want to help people in their life and their relationship, naturally, I've got to get through things in my life so that I can become what it is I want to be to help people. I feel like it's my calling from God to help people, to speak and encourage people. But how could I speak about encouragement if I've never been discouraged? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, guys that are listening, guys that are feel like they're fighting for their life and they can't get anything wrong, continually remind yourself. Write it down. Put it somewhere. What are your intentions? and What are your motivations? And if those line up with your moral compass... Continue doing what you're doing. Do not give up. And you do. It's the whole oxygen mask on an airplane theory. You do have to take care of yourself first before you go and redraw the lines anywhere else. I I call it focusing on what you can affect. Maintain focus in a healthy manner on the things that you can affect and change those things and learn more about how you evolve after you've redefined yourself as a man and grow into it. Understand you're going to fail and failure is okay. That's hard for me to admit. Understand you will fail. Failure is a crucial part of being successful. Don't give up. Continue. Reach out to us for support. Quincy at MVSMpodcast.com. I will keep you anonymous, and I will help you. I'm here for you. Every experience that I've gone through up into this point is what I'm going to use to help guide you. I'm not always going to tell you what you want to hear. 
but it is going to come from a foundation of love and support and a motivation to make you better. I hope I provided some context to the guys listening that are in a hard place. Um, I hope I provided some contextual understanding that you're getting these in bite size all 267 episodes, uh, but it's going on 15 years of work. So be ready for the work. Be okay for the grind. Keep your chin up and keep moving forward. You will be surprised what consistency, positive consistency can do. Um, and that is all for this particular episode. Anything, honey? No, I would just say take it all in stride. I mean, you, you have to understand that this is 15 years in the making. We still screw up. We still have to go back. But here's the thing. Once you've gotten over the hump, and, and there's there is old habits, there are stupid things that pop up randomly, we have to remember that, that that's not who we are anymore. That's not how we function anymore. We need to go back and, and you know dig into our toolbox and fix it again. Just because it gets better doesn't mean it's going to stay perfect. But you have to be willing to not let it go backwards. You have to be willing to say, nope, this isn't, this isn't what we agreed to. I mean, Quincy and I do it all the time. You guys have heard it. We come back on here all the time and go, okay, we did a stupid this is what happened. We didn't communicate about this or, you know, we, we misunderstood what the other person was saying, or maybe we just got busy and we just let shit slide. It, it is what it is. Everybody goes through it. We all have our, our seasons that we go through. That's exactly um, but you have to keep moving forward. You have to keep doing what you're doing. And if you're making the changes, understand there are there are things in life that are going to continue to force you to change even after you've already made the changes you're going to have to tweak stuff down the line it is what it is accept it acknowledge it change it move forward that's that's the only way to do it and it, you can't beat yourself up for a screw up or you know an an old thing popping up it we all go through it it's how you respond to it that's going to make the difference. Yeah. Whether you go forward or go backwards is totally going to be based on you and how you respond. Yep. You can you can live in your lower self again. Mm -hmm. It's real easy, too, because it's familiar. So it's real easy to go back and go, no, I'm going to go back to this. It's easier. But it's not. It's really not because going backwards just makes things harder to restart and do it again. Yeah. So I encourage you, even if you've taken a few steps back, you know, right your ship and set sail again. PJ Thanks. told me years ago, nobody said that you had to take it one step at a time. If you slide back two steps, jump two and keep moving. <laughs> so that was on a Stairmaster. So be very careful where you use that advice. But um, it all it all works out. <laughs> it all requires context. It does. Even to everything we've said on this particular episode. Um because you might have a, a situation. Your situations in your life have nuances. So it requires context. And that, you know, I, I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with that. And I'll leave you with the idea that you know if you're letting yourself off the hook. You know if you're not living 
to the standard that you set, and it's not perfection. It's excellence. That is our standard. You know for a fact if you're not doing it and you're trying to justify why you do what you do and blame other people. Don't do it. You are the one has to who now has the ability that now that I've made you aware of, you have the ability to focus on the things that you can affect and not allow your circumstances to dictate your attitude. And that can be harder said than done. True. So welcome the pain of the test. Welcome the pain of the circumstances. You learn more about yourself. And over the course of time, you will look at yourself in the middle of these situations. You will take a step back and you will laugh at yourself. But you will know. And you will appreciate that the, the you five years ago exercised grace, exercised forgiveness, held yourself to a higher standard. Because it is through those situations, circumstances, it's through those actions that the man five years from now is counting on you to come through with. So go out there and get after it and do it. For Jeannie Moran and Quincy Moran, a.k.a. the Q-Dog, this is Man vs. Marriage, the podcast.